Hi, this is John Lardner from Patriot Acres Composting. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. He's gone deaf from 20 years of answering gardening questions, and she, uh, here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. So you just load us on Facebook, so we're live on We are Facebook. live. Um, do we have to? <laughs> do we have to? Ariana, wave, do we take a vote? Ariana, do you want it? Do you want to be live? I, I see. We can't even see you because you're in the corner. You have there. To, she is. You'll have to come here. So wave, wave to the folks on Facebook. And there's already somebody there. I don't know how that happens, but uh, <laughs> well, good morning, whoever's out there. Yeah, really. Good morning. I I think we've come to the end of our streak of bright sunny mornings, though. Uh I think so. It was actually some lovely clouds today. They're saying might be some rain. Mm-hmm. Um. If you're going to La, okay, Ariana, I have to ask: Have you been to Lollapalooza? No. Here, come on over to the mic. Yeah. I have never been to Lollapalooza. What? Ever? What kind of a millennial are you? I'm failing. Uh, you are <laughs> failing millennial. Fail. Fail. Wow. Okay. Why? Why don't you go to Lollapalooza? Expensive. Oh well. Okay. <laughs> Money. <laughs> That'll do what, it. What was I thinking? Silly me. Okay, well, I suppose uh, that's the reason I don't go either. Well, that and and a million other reasons, or several other millions. I don't know any of the groups. Uh, well, actually, I do know some, but most of them I have yeah, no idea. They were talking it. about. They were talking about the other day, and the big rainstorm came on Thursday, and they said so and so and so and so was on stage. They were ready to go. I went, who? Yeah. What? Yeah, and apparently, <laughs> Lord, Lord was like, "Why are you ending in the middle of my concert?" Lord, see, that's one of them. I went, what? Am I supposed to know who that is? You seem to know who that you is. You listen to XRT. I probably do. I know the Get songs. It, I don't know who Jeez. does them. That's the thing. <laughs> I, you know, I know. I, I'll know some of that music. I, this has been a, a curse for me for for decades. <laughs> They'll say, uh, "Do you know so and so?" No. Well, what about that song? Oh yeah, I love that song. Well, that's that person. So oh, details, well. details. I know it's all the detail stuff. Oh well. Hey, have we got a jam packed show today? You know, it's just one of those Sundays where everybody in the world is going to be on and uh, starting with the folk. Get your, uh, bring that microphone down where you were playing the um, thing off of your computer just a second ago. I want to hear that again because this is sort of as an introduction to our first guests who will be in here in a second. Have you uh, got that? Okay. They're Mary Hennon and Peggy McNamara 
who have done a, bur- a book called uh, The Peregrine Returns, The Art and Architecture of an Urban Raptor Recovery. Oh, you, you deleted it oh, already. No, you no, closed it. You closed the window. No, it's open, and it's playing, and the volume's on my computer, and it's not doing anything. <laughs> See, she gets it during the, the preview. There we go. No, that's... Are those... Are those peregrines? That's what a peregrine sounds like. That's what a peregrine sounds like. Okay, it sounds like a seagull to me. It does kind of sound like a seagull. It does kind of sound we, like well, a... Well, we will, we will ask we will Mary a- and Peggy when they we'll come in. We'll ask when they come in because they're the experts on it. Uh, and it's a really lovely book uh, and uh, also an exhibit um, at the uh, Field Museum. So uh, we will start with them uh, today. Uh, and the Peregrine Recovery is a remarkable story. It's one of the few success stories. Uh, in the natural world, we don't have a lot of those mm-hmm. these days. Actually, I kind of blogged about that last night. And, need to celebrate them, uh, and I think so. Uh, and we'll and we'll talk about how they did it, how the peregrines came back, and whether they will stick around. Um, and uh, then we talked to uh, Laura Calvert, who's the new executive director of Advocates for Urban Agriculture. They have their big grown in Chicago summer soirée and showcase. Wow, that hurt to say that soirée. Swarry, um, and their Swarry and Showcase is uh, this Thursday at Big Delicious Planet, but she's the new executive director, and what we found out is her very first day on the job is tomorrow. We remember when we had, yeah, get you got you got a ding, is that We've our got dinger? the substitute dinger. No, I've got, the, I've got ours here. Yeah, but our, Down here when Ben's box. telling us 60, yeah, so we got to get to these. Ariana? Knock get, it off, Ben. I don't care. Get interning I over there. I don't care. <laughs> That there's 60 seconds. I really don't. Um, but uh, uh, remember when we had our buddy from Seed Savers Exchange mm-hmm. on? That was, his first day was the next day yes. after our show. And now Laura's first day is it's the It's a next rite day. of passage. They have they, to be you, on the you, Mike Novak you got, show you got to come through Evanston before you start your job. So she's here. Uh, Dr. Harry Klee, who has developed some of the best-tasting hybrid tomatoes, in the world who's in search of the perfect commercial tomato. I interviewed him two years ago. This is a follow-up interview. I can't wait. (laughs) It's so cool because I'm growing some of his tomatoes now. He's on. And then finally, Jonathan Kruger, speaking of vegetables, from Veggie Fest. So all of those folks uh, are on the show today. Stick around the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free of ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and other treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths, including the non-toxic Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Treatment. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. 
If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll get a head start on season. Mike and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. Make a little Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And all of us in the studio here are making a little birdhouse. Uh, and we don't really have to because the peregrines can kind of handle it on their own. But you guys uh, actually, uh, well, let me just uh, give give my uh, my welcomes to the people uh, in the studio. And that is Mary Henson and Peggy McNamara. Mary is the assistant collections manager for bird collection at the Field Museum, director of the Chicago Peregrine Program, which you can find on Facebook, by the way, Chicago Peregrine Program. And Peggy McNamara is adjunct professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, artist in residence and associate of the zoology program at the Field Museum. See, I know how to pronounce zoology. Uh, And an instructor at the Field Museum uh, Chicago Public Library's Nature Connection and Art Institute Family Programs, and welcome. They are the collectively the authors. Is that mine or yours? No, it's mine. But what happened yeah, to mine? Yeah. Oh, here's mine. It's under the. Mine's here. got the purple tags. Yours has another color tag. All righty. <laughs> uh, the Peregrine returns the art and architecture of an urban raptor recovery. Uh, welcome, you guys, to the Thank studio. You. Thank you so much. Happy uh, to be here. How's the uh, How's the big tour going? Uh, you're all over the place, right? Uh, well, it's just starting, right, Mary? So we're we're we're, we're, we're going to kick you off here and uh, and uh, and and make it relax. It's we're all friends yeah. here. Uh, all those people watching on on Facebook, they're Debbie all Newman. friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were more earlier, and there's a few others there. So we're, we're oh well, maybe not at the moment. <laughs> so they kind of so, come and go. Yeah, they come That's and right. go. Um, this is a lovely book, and one of the things that I, I've been trying to think of the words to describe it, because we get a lot of uh, nature books through here, uh, and we talk to people about them. Very few of them are illustrated, mm-hmm. um, and very few of them, uh, and I know Peggy asked this before the show, the shape of the book is different. And so I was thinking, how how would I characterize it? And I'm thinking, the book itself seems, even though it's hardcover, and it is hardcover, there's something ephemeral about it, uh, which I like. There's mm-hmm. and and it's a, a, a lovely book that sort of chronicles how we lost peregrines in um, almost on the planet, almost you know, and and uh, how we've brought them back, and and it's an interesting story. So, Mary, maybe we should start with you. Um, w- let me ask why you wanted to do this book. Well, the Peregrine story is a, is a wonderful conservation success story and something I've been working towards 
um, 30 years working with the species. But the whole story comes alive through uh, Peggy's artwork and that, and it's a continuation of a series she's book on um, a series of books she's done on um, bird migration and insects nests. The whole so that style sort of um, formed to that. But again, it comes alive through the artwork and and. In companion to that is the photos that are in it of the actual birds. So people who are peregrine monitors or follow their story or know, for instance, the peronesting Evanston can have the glimpses of the actual birds as well. Mm-hmm. And to begin with, though, from what I read, and I could be wrong here, it seems as though back in the day, and I'm talking about the middle of the 20th century, even then before the advent of DDT, which went a long way towards um, hurting the birds. Uh, there weren't that many around, really. It, wasn't a, it was not a huge population, was it? You're talking in the Midwest and eastern part of the U.S., about 350 nesting pairs. That's it? Yeah, it That's... didn't seem like a lot. Yeah, no. that, doesn't, that doesn't even seem like a sustainable, a sustainable number. I mean, you look at, you look at the, par- uh, all right, the, uh, the passenger pigeon, and uh, Joel Greenberg has been on the show many times. Um, and I love his book about the passenger pigeon. There were billions, billions. Now we managed to extirpate passenger pigeons, <laughs> but the peregrine, which had only three hundred to four hundred nesting pairs, we brought back. How that, that seems odd. Well, that's again, that's Midwestern, Eastern part of the U.S. So okay. you you know the numbers would go up. But think of working as you work up the top of the food chain, you're going less in number. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you go down to millions of algae and then less number of fish and then you work your way up to osprey or eagles, you know, the numbers are less yeah. in, in comparison overall. Well, and, and one of the points that you make in the book about the recovery of how much territory that the birds need and as their populations are growing, their territory is getting smaller. So, so that's probably a large portion of how many birds can sustain. It yeah that it it fluctuates between um, you have to have the ample prey you have to have the nest sites you have to have the numbers out there so all that can have an effect and it it goes up and down slightly but it stays within a a relative um, number of what that habitat can support. Mm-hmm. So what are the numbers right now? What, what would you guess in Illinois the numbers are? Or, or the Midwest, however you want to well, define it. Illinois, we and Illinois is the focus of of the book. Uh, there's roughly thirty to thirty five pairs in the state. That's way beyond historic levels because you're talking about a cliff dwelling sp- uh, species, and we're a plain state. Mm-hmm. So where were the historic populations? They're along the Mississippi River, the Illinois River. Um, where are they now? They're using the urban habitat mm-hmm. as a basis. So you've just you know increase the the available place for them to nest, you know, hundredfold. So traditionally they were not in the urban canyons? No, they were in they were in cliff sites. So and and now they've adapted to that as cliff sites are 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 skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. Um what what do they like? You know, I think the average person would say, well, of course, a skyscraper is is like a cliff. Uh, but not all skyscrapers are alike, just as no, not all cliffs are alike. So what do they gravitate towards? There's particular features of they want to be on the side, so they don't, they're not nesting on the rooftop. They're mm-hmm. nesting on the side of the building. You want the nest ledge to be out of prevailing winds, so mm-hmm. um, it has some level of protection. If the female is um, 
or male is sitting on the eggs incubating, they want to be able to see the surroundings. So you have to be able to watch for Yeah, so do I, though. You know, I'm like, you know, it's like I go into a restaurant. I want my back to the wall, okay, so yeah. I can see what else is going on. Never, you know what? There's a lot of species like that, aren't there? Right. Say, we want to sure. see what, what's around us. Yeah. I don't think it's that unusual. But, but you're not talking about, you know, if you have a balcony that has a deep walled window, they're not going to go down into that. Uh-huh. Uh, they yeah. want to get in and out quickly if they can. Some choices aren't the best. Think of a gutter. It has the perfect features for them. They can have enough room to, you know, sit on eggs or on the side. They could be out of the wind, but as soon as you got a heavy rain, it washes out. Well, okay, you, know? you say the gutter might be perfect uh, except for the rain, uh, but you've got to understand how they nest as well. And one of the things you describe in the book is that uh, they don't, they're not like other birds that grab all that stuff, the straw and twigs and so forth and build a nest they they they're looking for a, a depression of some sort right they'll, they'll make a depression in whatever substrates on there so yeah. they call that type of nest a scrape a scrape yeah uh but it seems to me that it's fairly exposed a scrape compared to other nests is it uh, we've got okay peggy you're nodding over there and you're the one who draws these so no. you tell us I think one of my favorite stories is that they nest on the expensive condos along Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> they have these beautiful pots that they plant. In their plant. flower pots. The, the yes. flower. Well, and I, then I wanted to get to that, too, because there are people who are not necessarily fans. Here's this right. bird that we're trying to save that almost went extinct, and, and it comes and it goes uh, to some of these uh, flower pots in these high-rises, and people say, I don't want that bird. Get that bird out of here. Um, you so have to, Mary had to visit these people, talk them down, <laughs> and say, "Next year, get rid of talk your them flower off the ledge." Pet. I guess. Yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you very much. She's the bird whisperer. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What do you tell people? Um, you're sort of being the liaison to explain what they can do, what they can't do. Try to make it as best a situation as possible. And at times, you know, they do come to love it. And I would say the majority of the people are very much for the birds and. <laughs> will work with you mm-hmm. and uh-huh. that you occasionally get one that doesn't want one on their balcony and that's fine they have every right to not have it there but you have to explain we have to get through this nesting season they're protected in migratory it, right they're protected during the nesting season yeah. right and then when when it, when the nesting season is over they leave the nest and then you can wreak havoc on it right and then i would rather <laughs> help you so to speak yeah <laughs> well i would rather help you do it Nicely, so you're not wreaking havoc on it or the birds, <laughs> yeah, and and prevent them from not using that ledge again. And it's not any different than um, being on a cliff site and an avalanche comes and it takes out that nest, and the birds just move to nearby mm-hmm. another location. Yeah, they don't freak out; they just find another yeah, place to right. to nest. Right. All right. Well, we we have to get to Peggy McNamara no. here because she's the uh, <laughs> the illustrator here, and the big question I I would think is. These are birds in flight. I mean, one of, again, in the book, which is called The Peregrine Returns, The Art and Architecture of Urban Raptor Recovery, you talk a lot about their diving, that, that you know, they can they can uh, travel at more than 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fastest bird on the planet, which I did not realize. Mm-hmm. How do you judge that? How do you know that for a fact? Um, I've, I've seen... Um programs or studies where they've done, you know what falconry is and a bird that's mm-hmm. been sure. trained to lure in a fist. And it was a gentleman who went up in an airplane with his peregrine, threw out the lure, let the bird go to chase the lure, and then he jumps out with a speed gun, and that was clocked at 243 miles an hour. 
<laughs> oh, my goodness. I'd like to see a video of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I believe it was National Geographic. We'll look for that. Okay, check out the National so, Geographic YouTube So then page. are you relying on photos or videos, or how are you? Yeah, um, Stephanie, Where? Who's a, yeah. Stephanie Ware took a lot of photos. She worked with Mary. Um, she'd go and... What what is it where you're hitting the birds coming swooping well, she, down she trying to hit you? She plays blocker. That that uh, vocalization you played at the beginning of the sh- uh, show yeah. is a defense one. It's it's called the cacking cack cack cack. Got to find that and, again. Um, yes. get me out and, of here. And so That's when we go to band the young, we want to be able to um, put um, bands on their legs that we can later look at longevity and dispersal. So they're flying at you in defense, and you hear that vocalization. Mm-hmm. Stephanie would be. The one playing blocker that would you invert a whisk broom upside and they want to hit the high point, mm-hmm. and um, so they're uh, wearing helmets to yeah. give you an idea. Mary yeah. <laughs> and Josh and Stephanie, yeah, because otherwise the bird, the bird will, 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 yeah, right. will attack them. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a great photo on the Field Museum website of, yeah. of them holding these brooms yeah, up. So that's one of the illustrations. Yeah. But the she, when she's but, not playing blocker, Stephanie is wonderful in photography and. Taking pictures of those leg bands so we can figure out who the individuals are so I could look at longevity uh, and dispersal, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But Peggy's remarkable, and you say, okay, this is the idea for the panel or this chapter, and, and I want to show, you know, um, the whole banding or the research, and here's a photo and this kind of thing. And she has a way of putting together well, that. You I know. take a lighter view, the non scientific <laughs> view. For instance, one of the plates I put together. The Intellectuals, that's the Hyde Park building, and the Liberals, that's the Evanston Library, and the prison. And yeah. they nest on all three equally without any prejudice. They, they live peacefully in the United States because yeah. they have no political bent. Yeah. That one, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've kind of interspersed. And, and the interesting thing on, on the drawings where you've got the inset of the birds and then showing where... They are actually nesting on the buildings. Yes. Your well, technique. I, just, I, I don't have to give you a uh, simple landscape mm-hmm. presentation. I'm trying to – it's sort of graphic novel where I'm trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. You do a lot so of – uh, I don't know, what do you call them, montages? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, of the birds in various uh, situations there. And well, the, the series of books was supposed to be sort of for the layman. So the shape of the book is actually – just larger than a guidebook. So you'd have mm-hmm. your bird guidebook mm-hmm. yeah. in your back pocket. Well, U of C Press wanted it to be a little bigger than that, but not a coffee table book. So that's why it falls in between. And and I can be looser. I'm not doing an academic paper. Right. I'm just illustrating. Well, go, go into that a little bit. I mean, what what does it mean when you're sort of free of the confines of an academic paper. What well, does color, it mean to be lo- number color? Number one. I, I have you get color. to take some liberties with color, huh? I can, well, I, I think I'm doing it exactly, but I am. And <laughs> for, I am trying primarily to make an image that you're attracted to and want to mm-hmm. learn something from. Uh-huh. And I want to tell a story that maybe you don't know, you know, that's all, that they nest out in the, we did a book on nests. And I didn't know that there were birds that nested out in Lake Michigan yeah. and sat on their little nest. The you know, so it it's that kind of thing. It's I didn't give the full range, which an academic paper would give you, two hundred and fifty species doing mm-hmm. this or that. I just cover sort of the general. Yeah, and 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 you put in some of the little 
perspective tips, for example, of, of here's how you got this effect, say, with the specimens? Well, the press asked me to do an artist mm-hmm. sort of. The, the artist and scientist and scientist note at the beginning is yeah. sort of a connection between our viewpoint and, and our experience of what going on either in her and drawing mm-hmm. it or me and working with the species. And the, one of the things I like about the combination of you have the science and you have the artist is, is you're widening the audience to mm-hmm. both. So mm-hmm. the, the audience that are coming at that book from strictly an appreciation of the artwork is getting a connection to a little bit of the science and this sort of con- convert. Well, and one of the story. one of the things about science books is that they're not fans of anecdotes, and these are almost anecdotal <laughs> yeah. anecdotal information that's at the top of the uh, yeah. cha- each chapter. So you get to read what's in the heads of the authors and the illustrator, and then go into more of the scientific aspect of it. So uh, right. you, you get a little bit of both. Yeah, the point cool. of the series was to broaden the horizons of what's going on at the Field Museum. There's a whole, there's one scientist who's been studying migration for 36 years, right? And yeah. it's buried in, and so In a little did, closet in, in the well, back of the yeah. museum. Down and in nobody, the basement. Nobody's yeah. seen him actually for the last 25 no, no, years. He's so. there, he's there working every day. He comes up okay. for coffee. But right. the, the nest, for instance, I opened up a cabinet in the dark chambers all right, you're, you're not going to have time to finish that story, I guarantee <laughs> you. We're going to a break. It's the Mike Novak right. Show with Peggy Malecki, Mary Hannon, and Peggy McNamara, uh, who did The Peregrine Returns. More on this right after this. <laughs> Is this the year you finally get your lawn off drugs? But why stop there? Why not work with your city, your park district, and your local schools to create a neighborhood of lawns that are beautiful and safe? Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston-based company with a decade of experience managing large turf areas naturally. They'd be happy to sit down with you, your local school, or city to answer any questions and to give you a free lawn care estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600.
It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased on uh, Sunday morning, a cool, cloudy Sunday morning, to have uh, Mary Hennon and Peggy McNamara on the program from the Field Museum and elsewhere and their new book, The Peregrine Returns. Uh, we got. We still have. Uh oh, and Audie the dog. Audie He's, returns. As Audie returns to the studio, that's what happens when you leave the door open. <laughs> Ben's out there. like, okay, I'll come get. <laughs> no, it's okay, Ben. Uh, Audie's fine. As long as there's no peregrines in the room, we'll we'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> Audie will get bored because there are no uh, Krispy Kremes in here, and then she will wander back out. Uh, so Peggy, why did why did you start off? You had a couple of questions you wanted to lay on him. Well, one of the things that struck me when I first opened the book and started reading Mary was your story talking about um, Nighthawks and then reverting back to when you were a kid and listening to listening to all the insects, listening to everything in your neighborhood, talking about the insects flying around a light, hearing the Nighthawks and just realizing how precious the memory was of wildlife in your neighborhood growing up. Um, the place where I grew up, and Mom still is there. Hi, Mom. Um, it, at the end of our driveway was a street light, and my father had a rule that when the street light was on, you had to be at home. You could play on the front lawn and whatnot, but you had to be home. So you had a lot of evening, the games are played on that um, and lawn, and you had things like bats coming to feed at the moss that were attracted to the um, lights and, and night hawks coming around. And then as I grew up, and, and the night hawk population declined, and you just don't see them anymore mm-hmm. to the degree. And it has various parts of that habitat loss and whatnot. And, and there's a similar um, story with the peregrine that, mm-hmm. you know, growing up as a kid, I never would have been able to see one um, because they simply weren't there. Weren't there. Uh, but peregrine has come back. Uh, tremendously, and when you compare it to things, uh, other species that are in decline and not having that recovery, you realize how precious the memory of of seeing it at some point in your life is. And when did you see your first peregrine? I was out of college. I was actually working at the Field Museum of Chicago Academy of Sciences, had the peregrine program underway. Um, So I came at the very beginning, but Mm -hmm. not at the beginning, and the very first nesting pair we had in Illinois after the decline was at a building near the Sears Tower, and it was the female on that site, and she was stooping, doing that dive, going out after a sapsucker. Remarkable. And that's what you call the dive, stooping? Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, one of the things you you talk about in the book, though, that just fascinates me, and we've talked about it on the show because we've we've talked about the buffaloes at Medewin. National Tall Grass Prairie and other species, and they and they go, get to this narrow point uh, in their in their history where the gene pool is so small that you wonder whether the species can even survive. And as you mentioned in the book, and you, we've talked alluded to here on the program, the peregrine was was basically gone from Illinois, from the Midwest, and you had to, or scientists, not you personally, but scientists had to decide not only how we bring it back, but do we bring it back? Now, given the success, you can look back and say, I'm sure glad we did that, but it's not exactly the same gene pool, is it? Uh, No, and there was uh, controversy on that standpoint. Um, Where do you have the peregrines to try to bring them back? Well, they they laid in... um, Falconer's hands, so the birds were in captivity in private hands. And the race that was 
historically in the Midwest, the anonymous subspecies, there was not enough of that race left to just keep that pure. So they were trying to make a decision, well, do I breed it with the tundriest race that's up north or Peels, which is on the Pacific Northwest, and, and combine that subspecies? And are we then, quote-unquote, creating a new uh, subspecies or a new mm-hmm. species of bird? Um, happily, I, they made that um, decision to go forward. And nowadays with our advent of how we can look at genetics, we can find out if those uh, subspecies were actually true subspecies to begin with. Mm-hmm. But it was the com- combination of all those races became the stock of what we released in the wild. Uh, and along that line, not only did you manipulate the subspecies, but you gave them a new home, which is mm-hmm. the, not a traditional home. As qu- cliff-dwelling birds, uh, they were uh, the Mississippi and other places where there there were cliffs, but now in the city of Chicago. So... Does that change things well, as well, too? Have, we, you, have did, you created did, something wholly new here? Did, well, did we give them the new home, or did they discover that new home themselves? Okay. Um, so the hope was that they would use the historic sites, and, and we do have birds using using those. Um, but they start using the city like a pseudo-cliff, and they have the ample prey, the ample ledges, the things we talked about earlier. Well, it makes um, sense to us. I mean, if you look at it, but, and you, you have the birds, you say, yeah, that makes sense that they would do that. But is... Is it wrong? I mean, scientifically, is this a mistake? Uh, there's really no way to know that, is there? Um, no, time will tell. And you can be on which side of the argument. I, I would be on the side of, of no, it's another habitat. Um, and the adaptability to that urban environment is what the main thing of why the recovery would happen in such a short period mm-hmm. of time. Um, yeah. But you do have n- none of what historically was here but was lost due to man's influence with the DDT, or do you have them back but in a new location? Yeah, I I agree because we're the ones that caused the problem in the first place, so if we try to fix it, you know, I I don't have a problem with that. So, It's a little bit like immigration. I mean, you know, (laughs) it's what the people did to populate Chicago. I mean, it came from all over. It wasn't Mm -hmm. the original people. That lived yeah. in Chicago. I mean, we came. What, from- one thing we should make clear, though, in the discussion is you get the impression that that I specifically put them anywhere. These are wild birds; they go where they want. And if you look at the dispersal out of nests in, in the area, or even dispersal from those original hack sites, were which were the release sites for and those captive is, birds, is the process of releasing those captive bred right. birds into the mm-hmm. wild. Um, they're using the Midwest. They're, they're, it's a regional movement. So a bird that fledges out of a nest in Chicago isn't necessarily going to stay in Chicago. It can go to Indiana or Wisconsin or mm-hmm. wherever. And same reverse is true. If you look at the identity of the adults that are finding Chicago as a home, you've had birds from Canada and from Minnesota and from all the region. And let's make clear that when the, the the original project, when you were hatching these eggs, and it's not you again specifically, but when when researchers were doing this and they got the eggs from, and you, I guess we have to thank the the falconers who 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 yes. had mm-hmm. these birds. Otherwise, the, they might have gone completely extinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but human contact was kept to a minimum. In fact, uh, reading about it, how, you know, you were out of sight, you, you got the eggs there, let the let the chicks do what they're going to do, uh, let them go where they're going to go. There was no real manipulation other than let's get these eggs to hatch. Right. 
basically. Right. Uh, and so, and then they ended up going various places mm-hmm. in the Midwest, like Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got the the Peregrine Project that is is through the Field Museum now, or is that a collaboration with multiple groups? Um, it's always, uh, think of it as a giant volunteer network. So I might be at the head being the spokesperson, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really all the people that work in buildings that have, um, peregrines nesting on them or in offices across the way or engineers or, or all the people that sort of keep track of the, mm-hmm. and host them. Um, it, it, if you want to go back to the start of the whole reintroduction, it was a cooperation of uh, different agencies, the uh, Illinois Audubon, um, Illinois DNR, Chicago Academy of Sciences, and then he- was headquartered at the Chicago Academy of Sciences. I took it over in 1990, and when I moved permanently to the Field Museum, it sort of came with me. So if people in the area want to get involved, it, what the, what would a citizen scientist be doing with the project? If they want to track us down, the easiest thing is go, to go to the Field Museum's website. In the little search box at the top of it, just put in the word falcon. So it would be www.fieldmuseum.org. Put the word in Falcon, mm-hmm. and you'll get to the website, and it has all the contact information yeah, but what, in there. But what do you need help with? Uh, just that, that what I alluded to before is, is tracking. Let me know what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, I love cell phones now with people taking little pictures, and, mm-hmm. and I've got these birds in my yard, and then I can say, okay, it's a beautiful bird. It's a Cooper's hawk. Here are the features mm-hmm. that distinguish it that way. But they help me know what's going on and where it is and, and, and where I can be of help. Remember, I want to be the one to explain how you can live with them and bridge, that nice bridge the gap, as yeah. it were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the museum also has an exhibit. So tell us a little bit, Peggy, about the exhibit, how it's put together, what you're trying to get across. Well, it tells the story of the, what the book does. So mm-hmm. we used maybe 12 of the images from the book and just a little bit of text, and it simply shows the banding, that, you know, and, and where they landed. So highlights of some sites. One of the images that I yeah. put on the, the, my blog uh, is from the exhibit, from the book. It's really interesting because I have a photo that I took uh-huh. from the legacy and it's almost exactly that shot, except yeah. without the peregrine falcon in it. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I almost want to, like, paste it in, the one I have, and make, yeah. see if it works. But that, that's, that's exactly what it looks like up well, there. Well, Mary yeah. took the photo. And so I just turned it into uh-huh. a watercolor and made some additions, like the fountain was on, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I yeah. love that it shows the field Artist museum license. off to the right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a Millennium Park site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just, uh, uh, one of the things uh, about the, uh, doing the artists, doing the drawings, uh, the illustrations, do you try to go out on site and see if you can catch them in person? No, I went to some of the sites, um, but I used like St. Michael's. I think mm-hmm. I took some photos at and that's where they, the birds are roosting in the, well, in the they statue well, right was, behind the statue. They were so yeah. nesting in the statue. Um, yeah. I didn't ever go out to Wilson's crib. Oh, um, our, our favorite one is the, the water intake cribs that mm-hmm. are out two miles out in yeah. Lake Michigan. So they're using those uh, sites as well. And, and, for us to monitor them, we're like kids going to the circus because we're going on the tugboat and we're going out to check the birds. Well, what I have to tell our listening audience is um, this is August, so some people are already thinking holidays. And I'm thinking, get this book. Uh, <laughs> if you've got a friend who loves art, who loves 
um, nature. Uh, Love stories about a, nature. Right, is a burger perhaps. Um, this will be really nice under the old Xmas tree. <laughs> Uh, it is you. called The Peregrine Returns, The Art and Architecture of an Urban Raptor Recovery. Mary Hennon and Peggy McNamara, thank you so much for coming down all the way or up all the way to Evanston. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you for you. having us. And uh, good luck on the book. It's it's quite an accomplishment. All right, we've got more coming up on the Mike <laughs> Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We hope you'll stick around for that. Thank you. Veggie Fest Chicago is back on August 12th and 13th. Be part of one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. Veggies and omnivores alike will have a great time. There's a huge international food court, health professionals with advice for good living, food and cooking demos, a children's tent, live music with some of Chicago's best bands, more than 100 vendors, and it's free. It's at Benedictine University, 5700 College Road in Lyle. Go to VeggieFestChicago.org. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. I don't think I've ever, well, I haven't heard this in a long time all the way. This is not the part you ever heard on the, the TV show. Wow. <laughs> it's, okay, Ariana, I have to, oh, you don't have the headsets on. She doesn't have her headsets. You're missing this. Oh, you can hear that? Okay. That, you have any idea what this is? Yeah. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. good. So Woody Woodpecker is still around. Yeah, and, and don't have me imitating it because, yeah. Because you do that too? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Well, now you have to. See, you not, shouldn't have said anything. I'm, I'm not saying another word until uh, until you do the uh, the Woody Woodpecker. Come on. No, I'd have to warm up first. All right, I expect la, it. La, 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 In la. the second hour. In the second <laughs> hour. That's a, that's not what he was. That's a, that's the. I know, but that's what like came out. That's the goat slash sheep. The All first right. time I ever did that, he was rolling on the floor laughing. I so. know. I, I I can't get her to do it because she won't do it. It's like if you got talent, you have to use it. Don't hide it under a bushel. Come on, you know it's very important. She's ignoring me. Okay, let's go to the phones and bring in Laura Calvert. Laura, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How about you? 
I'm well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. We always bring in people, new executive directors, the day before their first day on the job. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is part of the gauntlet, huh? Uh, it is. Well, it's funny because um, we did this just uh, uh, a, a few weeks ago when we had the guy who's uh, becoming the executive director of Seed Savers Exchange, and he was on his way to Iowa. Uh, and, um, uh, he uh, stopped by here and the very next day was his first day on the job. So it was very, uh, very interesting. So we've decided it's got to become a tradition here that, uh, so, so welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I I haven't perfected my elevator pitch yet, but I'm glad to to practice it out on y'all. You know what? That's a great idea. Uh, because, uh, I, I was going to ask you anyway about, uh, advocates for urban agriculture. Um, why not try out the elevator pitch on us? What, what are okay. you, gonna, what are you going to be telling people this week? All right. Well, I, I'll start with who AUA is. We are a nonprofit coalition of Chicago area gardeners, farmers, organizations, and businesses with the goal to expand and strengthen urban agriculture in the area. Uh, we are the leading Chicagoland hub for information and expertise. We're an advocate for progressive food policy at the city and county level. And, you know, we try to provide as much direct assistance as possible to farmers and gardeners in the area. Okay, this is the fourth floor. I got to get off. Thanks. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> so there you go. And you start yeah. you start with a bang because yeah. the uh, annual soiree is this week, uh, and uh, you will be uh, wandering around and introducing yourself to the folks there. Yeah, I. this is a great time for me to be starting. I mean, I my first week I get to go to a party. Like, <laughs> how, how lucky am I? Um, yeah, so the Grown in Chicago Summer Showcase and Soiree is this Thursday, August 10th. It's from 6 to 9 at Big Delicious Planet, uh, which is a really great location. It's has an urban farm there on site. It's the only four-star green certified caterer in Chicago. There's going to be urban farms there. There's going to be funding and financing organizations for these farmers and other folks to talk to. So it's just going to be a great night of eating, drinking, mingling, hanging out with some plants. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Peggy and I were there last year and had a great time. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it, and it looks like it's uh, it's just expanded exponentially for this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think it just keeps getting bigger and better. There's going to be uh, 18 urban farms there who contributed mm-hmm. 100 pounds of fresh produce to go into the meal. There's, as I mentioned, the funding and financing organizations. There's going to be more of them being represented. Uh, live music, open bar, what more could you want? Uh, Laura, and, and tasty oh, desserts probably too. Yes. Yes. I actually uh, uh, and also got, I don't know if you're going to have uh, any of this uh, that you had last year, but last year I, I bought some uh, row markers for my garden. Ooh. Yeah, that was from uh, South, Side Academy, South Shore Academy. Yeah, uh, they, they had ceramic row markers, uh, which are very cool. So I, I've still got those. Um, oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I'll try and see if they'll make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you're no stranger to uh, local food issues, uh, having worked at uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden's Windy City Harvest Program. 
uh, for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you come into AUA and they ask you to to, to fill in uh, these shoes. And Billy Burdett is a great guy, and he's off mm-hmm. to off to Michigan to farm. Um, he's been on the program many times, and and I've worked with him. What what do you aside from the elevator speech? You got to have yeah. something in the back of your head. You think this is really what I want to do with AUA, uh, and, and what might that be? Sure. So, yeah, I'm really. This is a really interesting time for urban ag in Chicago, and I've been you know working on the ground floor with that for eight years, and I think the it's developed so much over the past decade, and I think we're about to embark on a whole new level of development. You know, with the there's the urban agriculture business license proposal, which we're hoping can streamline and be more cost-effective for urban ag businesses and farmers to start their business. Food safety is a huge uh, consideration to make, you know, with FISMA passing a few years ago and our are farmers prepared for that? Do we know how to correctly interpret the legislation? How can AUA step in and be a, a service provider to help train? Land access is a huge issue for farmers and gardeners in Chicago. So how can we work with the city and other stakeholders to you know, make land more affordable and accessible? Um, you know, with the Chicago, with CPSs, uh, food purchasing policy that the board just passed. That's a really exciting opportunity, I think, for uh, Chicago farmers to aggregate and scale up and sell to institutional markets. And I also think food hubs are going to be the next frontier of urban agriculture as well. So there's all these moving parts and new opportunities yeah. and new ideas. So I look forward to kind of serving our key stakeholders, the you know the folks out in the field and be like, how with all of this coming on board, how can we better prepare you? How can we better serve you? Mm-hmm. And I would say, and I and I read recently, a lot of authors, uh, reporters point to Chicago and say it's becoming the center of the local food movement in the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I think I agree with that. So that puts a lot of responsibility on an organization like AUA because. There may be others out there, and, and I apologize to anybody I'm missing, but it seems like AUA is is the primary go between uh, between uh, the farmers who want to do something in the city and the city itself, the administration and and the uh, all the bureaucracy, uh, mm-hmm. and it, and it doesn't always work because I know people who have start tried to do farms in Chicago and gave up on it, uh, and th- this is recently, so it's not yeah. it's not exactly a well oiled machine yet, uh, and yeah. I assume you want to try to fix some of that. Absolutely, and just you know, building a re- you know continuing to build a relationship with the city, so there's you know a lot of back and forth communication about how you know, we can make this an easier process for those farmers. And, you know, I'm really hopeful for that. We've, you know, already made good strides in that direction. Um, but, yeah, I've, I really want to, you know, help Chicago continue to be the leader in the country and perhaps the world for, for urban ag. And there's just so much opportunity that just, you know, I think needs some background work and we'll get there. All right. Well, there she is, the day before her first day on the job. <laughs> 
you, you, you've got, <laughs> you passed the test. You passed the Ooh, test. Okay, all right. All right. Laura Calvert, uh, congratulations and good luck to you. Uh, folks who want to get involved, go to my website and uh, go to the big soiree this, this week. And uh, we will uh, talk to you in the future, I'm sure, Laura. All right. I can't wait. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt, before it goes from bad to feeling worse, I turn off my phone, I get down low, and put my hands in the dirt. I try to stop the world from... Okay, I've added uh, WordPress to the list. WordPress, of course, I'm I'm got a post up there and put my blog and was trying to fix it just now and it no. won't take... I make the correction, I hit the update, it doesn't take. I make the correction, I go back, make the correction, hit the update, it doesn't, doesn't take. Work. So, WordPress, you're on the same list with Facebook. And Twitter. I don't hate Twitter as much as I hate Facebook, though. Uh, Twitter, yeah, Twitter's got its own thing, but they all, they all, they're all just sort of... <laughs> they're, uh, they're all a plot. The, to make people crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's working. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, People come up with new words and now they're on the phrases. That's right. And uh, we were talking Twitter yesterday, you, you and I. And and one of the things I do, I refuse to do, is the abbreviations and <laughs> use the the letter or the the number four. Oh, old school for the word F O R. I will not even do that. I don't don't make me do that because I won't. So <laughs> he's I, old school. I don't. I don't. You know, the only thing that I've done on there that uh, I, is not. That that is a concession, okay? Is uh, complete. I, I don't necessarily do complete sentences on Twitter. I do often, not all the time, but uh, the and very few abbreviations. I'm perversely spelling out entire <laughs> words on Twitter and defying the 140 characters. I just defying it. So there you go. Uh, but then uh, there's our president who doesn't spell anything correctly on Twitter. So, Kofifi. 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 Now, Kofifi. Kofifi is the ragweed version. Yes, we are, Kofifi. Uh, mysticide. That's, <laughs> now, that's taking two words What's and putting word? it together. Mystify that Mi- song. Yeah. Oh, I should get that song. That'd be a good bump. bump. 
uh, Midwest Pesticide Action Center. If you didn't catch our conversation last week about mosquitoes, uh, go back and listen to the podcast. We had uh, really a lot of fun. It was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Ruth Kersey from the a lively Mi- debate. It was Midwest Pesticide Action Center was on, and Laura McGowan from Clark, uh, and uh, they they uh, gave us a lot of information. And there was a little bumping of heads. There was there was bumping of heads uh, when we had the uh, the women on talking about foliage plants. Mm-hmm. We did a little bumping heads. I like that. We didn't bump heads today with the the Peregrine people, but. That's no, because that would have been two hundred miles an hour. Uh, that would really. <laughs> All righty, there you go. Uh, the so Ruth Kersey, who is with the Midwest Pesticide Action Center, who was on last week, says that uh, we didn't talk about it last week. So I mentioned uh, there's a uh, rainbarrelfundraising.com. If you go to rainbarrelfundraising.com, uh, they are doing a fifty-five dollar rainbarrel fundraiser. Each rain barrel includes a leaf and mosquito filter basket, an overflow adapter, a spigot, and an overflow hose, and a downspout pipe to direct the water to the barrel. Now, I could use one of those. Mm-hmm. I have to order one of those. I don't have it. That's like, here's my barrel. Here's my downspout. Uh, they're 55 the bucks. Piece, yes. They've got to be ordered online, rainbarrelfundraising.com slash MPAC. Uh, and uh, you have to pick them up yourself. Uh, and that will be on the 13th. What's today? Today's the 6th. Six. Six. So uh, next weekend. Um, next so anyway, Sunday. go to rainbarrelfundraising.com slash MPAC. 55 bucks for a rain barrel. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a really interesting event coming up uh, August 10th and 11th. I think that's Thursday and Friday. Uh, put on by greenscenechicago.org. And a woman named Marty Sanders is directing Teenagers in a Tale of Three Sisters. And you've probably heard of the Three Sisters crops, corn, bean, and squash. Um, it's an Iroquois creation myth, and it's in some of the other Native American mythology. But there's an entire ensemble of teenagers in Uptown doing a play about the Three Sisters. It's open to the public. They planted the crops. They're going to be talking about the crops, and they're going to be doing this play which runs, is it outdoors? Are it they is doing this? outdoors. Yeah, they're doing yeah. this outdoors. And we, and we, we, cool. we actually tried to get them on the show. And they had a big rehearsal. They got a big rehearsal today. Yeah. So uh, otherwise we were going to have the kids uh, reenact the whole thing on the show, but oh well. Yeah, so go. it's it's uh, August 10th tw- at 1230 and August 11th. They've got performances at 1230, 230, and 6. You can go to greenscenechicago.org. That's seen as an S-C-E-N-E, I think, folks. As a, well, as opposed to S E E N, but that wouldn't make any sense. No, but it's on the radio. GreenSceneChicago.org. Green yeah, and and Marty Sanders can get you more information about that. All right, cool. Uh, when we come back, uh, I am very excited about this. This is uh, two years in the making. Uh, Dr. Harry Clee from the University of Florida, who provided seeds that I'm now growing in my backyard, um, and I've grown for the last couple of years. Uh, he's the guy who's in search of the the perfect commercial tomato and has been doing this for some time. And uh, I've thought about this. We, we, I almost did this last year I, when we were at Pirate Radio, but uh, this year I, I decided <laughs> really need to have him back and see two years down the road how things have developed and whether he's got any new seeds that he can lay on me for next year. Mm-hmm. To grow. So this is, uh, if you got tomato questions, give us a call 847 475 1590. 
847-475-1590. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki and Dr. Harry Klee next. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll have a head start on the season. Peggy and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. If we're playing that song, we must be talking about tomatoes, and that uh, means let's go to the phone lines and bring in Dr. Harry Klee from the University of Florida. Harry, are you with us? I'm with you. It's uh, so good to talk to you again. It's been a, a couple of years, and I was looking at the the uh, the last time we were together. It was almost exactly two years ago. Is that August 9th? Oh, okay. Yeah, something like that. But you're not in Florida today, are you? I am not. We have a, a house in Washington State, and I'm in, uh, it's, it's not like Florida. <laughs> not at all. Uh, when you say a house, is this a vacation house or a... A, well, it's our, yeah, it's our vacation house. It will eventually be our retirement house. Ah, well, see, uh, I used to have a house in Washington State on the Olympic Peninsula. You're not anywhere near there, are you? Oh, no, not too far. We're on Vashon Island, which is in Puget Sound. Oh, you're We're in the actually... you're in the fancy place. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not that fancy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Good. Well, congr- you know, and it's uh, except you guys are in the middle of a heat wave, aren't you? We are. It was uh, incredibly hot, and as you probably know, uh, people here have no air conditioning, <laughs> and so ninety-five degrees is very hot. You know, I posted something the other day about how nature's air conditioner is broken in the Pacific Northwest right now. That was the headline: nature's air conditioner is broken. Um, yep, and, you're absolutely right. And normally, the prevailing winds off of the Pacific will blow all that stuff out. But somehow now it's backing up from British Columbia, including wildfire smoke uh, and heat. And this is not what uh, Seattleites are used to, are they? No, no. In fact, out the back door of our house, we can usually see Mount Rainier, which is, I don't know, 60, 70 miles away, crystal clear. And we we haven't seen it in a week. Uh, It's just Hmm. it's sunny but just the haze is just incredible it's like being in los angeles in the 1970s wow yikes and 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 that's true uh because uh, i've been to seattle more than a few times and the uh it's sort of the uh it's just the backdrop it is the backdrop but it's also the canary in the coal mine um oh yeah if you can see rainier you know it's a good day. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's cl- the clouds, and and there's a lot of clouds that that come into Seattle. But like you said today, Harry, when it's a sunny day and you can't see Rainier, you you say, "Uh oh, that's not good." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. We've had unhealthy uh, unhealthy air warnings, burn bans. It's been pretty incredible summer. Uh, you know, they had the wettest sun- winter on record, and now we. We're about to set a new record for the most days without any rain. We so have it's just been a totally bizarre year. It, it well, get used to it. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, our meteorologist on the show, Rick DeMaio, talks about what he calls climate variability, uh, and this is it. And in Chicago, what we're getting is uh, okay. Several weeks ago, we had uh, the north part of the Chicago area. Some places got twelve inches of rain within a matter of two or three days. And mm-hmm. this is sort of the new norm where we have these incredible storms and they dump all this rain. And then we have places like the Pacific Northwest that have heat waves uh, and wildfires and that sort of thing. And it's it, it it's happening all yeah. over the globe. And then we're sitting back in a cool zone surrounded by heat right now here mm-hmm. in Chicago. Yeah. So uh, in now, when you're up there in Vashon Island, do you grow tomatoes up there, or is, are you not there enough for that? Um, no, I do, actually. We have some new varieties that um, that we haven't released yet that I've got growing in my uh, in my backyard. <laughs> and uh, it's, it actually is a very complimentary uh, place because in the summer in Florida, it's too hot, and you can't even grow a tomato in the summer. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So... You know, our season for tomatoes ends in early June, and uh, and you have different pressures. Um, you know, in Florida, um, we have we have some diseases that are big problems, but not the ones up north. So, mm-hmm. actually, I'm testing a couple of varieties out here now that are resistant to uh, a disease called late blight, which is something that uh, gardeners up north just uh, just can't handle, and and if we can get good resistance to that, it would be a huge breakthrough. 
Um, so it's it's kind of a complementary season. I get to actually do some work up here that uh, that that affects gardeners in places like Chicago. Uh, and and let me I'm going to back up just a second and let folks know Dr. Harry Cleese, as he mentions, from the University of Florida and. I found out about him several years ago. I read this article in Slate, which you and I talked about at the time, and a lot of people saw that article. Um, and it was uh, how, uh, may I call you Harry, by the way? Is that all right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, was on this quest to find the perfect commercial tomato. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody can grow tomatoes in their backyard. We just listened to Guy Clark singing about homegrown tomatoes. <laughs> And that's wonderful and good. The problem is when they're mass-produced. And the way they've been mass-produced is uh, you pick them when they're green so that they'll ripen on the way to the stores. By the time they get to the stores, they're red. Obviously, they can't be bruised. Um, And folks want a beautiful tomato when they go to the store. The problem is they taste like nothing. There's Water. You know, like a two-by-four. I think it said paper towel in one article. Uh, maybe a paper towel. <laughs> we, we can find descriptive phrases for what tomatoes taste like in, in grocery stores. Uh, and you, Dr. Klee, uh, with your background in genetics, decided, okay, I'm, I can fix this. I know I can fix this. And you started experimenting with heirlooms and other kinds of tomatoes and breeding them and trying to find a tomato that you could grow en masse and ship, and it would still taste good. And one of your first successes was the Garden Gem, right? Right, right. Uh, I mean, that's still more of a home garden tomato than it is a commercial one, although we've been, we've been working to get people to develop niches where people will want it. Uh, there are, uh, you know, it's, it's, we've got some, some organic gardeners who are growing it for farmers markets in a couple big cities now, uh, but it's it's not really the grower. The growers still don't want that tomato because it's not at the level of production that they Interesting. can justify. Wow, and and that so that's just a step along the way. Now I after we talked two years ago. Uh, you sent me some seeds, and by the way, folks, you can get your hands on these seeds if you go to my website and click on the link to the lab that uh, Dr. Klee uh, is uh, involved with and runs down at University of Florida, because you're happy to send out seeds if they'll make us a, a modest contribution, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, since we last talked, we uh, you know we had a we had saw a paper come out this past January that mm-hmm. described our research, and it was written up in the New York Times. And we literally crashed the university's web server with requests. Um, we've actually now we've passed the ten thousand donor uh, uh, point. Wow! Uh, and and so we've now had people growing our tomatoes in all fifty states, and I think we're up to something like thirty-eight countries. Holy smoke! Uh, oh yeah, it's been fabulous. It's it's just so refreshing. And, <laughs> and, and and every penny of that money goes back into the research. Not a penny goes into anyone's pockets, including the university. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear that, and I'm glad it's success. I don't feel special anymore, however, when I... <laughs> <laughs> well, you were special at the time. I mean, we, uh, when we started it, it was very slow. And, uh, you know, we, we were, I was always getting emails, uh, you know, for people saying, oh, I heard about your research. Can I get your tomatoes? 
And and so we started doing it almost as a, you know as a favor or you know just to say so that we wouldn't have to tell people no you got to wait and and it's really taken off it's just amazing I mean it's helped us develop a, a couple of new varieties including the one that I think you grew that you really liked yes we grew um, the garden gem and something that two years ago you were <laughs> you were as I say you prosaically called <laughs> new hybrid. Uh, does that <laughs> that's right. does, does does that actually have a name yet? No, it doesn't. But the university finally this year has. Uh, we go through a process where you have to get approval from the university uh, before you can release a variety officially. Um, mm-hmm. They they just don't they don't want you to release stuff that makes them look bad or or you know. Uh, so we have all these standards where we have to show that it it uh, it performs really well before they'll say yes, we'll release this variety. So that one you tested was was officially released this year, but it still doesn't have a name. Um, we're <laughs> we're struggling with coming have a up contest. with a really clever name. Yeah. Uh, uh, I... Well, we thought about that actually. We thought about so we started this this thing this past year where. Um, we told people that um, we want them to try out our new varieties uh, and give us feedback. Let us know how it does in your part of the country. And we've been—I've just been inundated with emails, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. People are giving us all this stuff. And we've actually thought about at the end of the year making a contest for people who actually respond to us and tell us how it did, uh, and having a vote. Uh, so we're, we're thinking about that, and we may do it that way. Uh, it, I, I put photos of it uh, up uh, on uh, my blog, the new hybrid, and, and, and I'm trying to find one of uh, the folks on the show. Oh, yeah. it. Uh, let's see. I had a comment from a guy who writes for the Garden Professor's blog. Are you familiar with the Garden Professor's blog? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, Raymond Eckert. And uh, he uh, he had a name for it, and I can't now. I can't find it. He's one of the uh, the he, he you know there are there are folks out there already who want who want to put their uh, their names on it. And he it was something along the lines of Garden Jam, but I can't find oh, the email. I'll see if I can find it, I don't know. But at any rate, so th- I have to tell you the, what happened last year is Kathleen and I grew both the Garden Jam and New Hybrid. Like mm-hmm. we we certainly like the Garden Jam, tasty. Uh, slightly smaller than the new hybrid, but the new yeah, hybrid was definitely. was just is unbelievable. There's it's 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 garden. I don't want to say on steroids, tomatoes on steroids <laughs> because people get the wrong idea. It's just a, a hyper su- tomato. It's a superb plant uh, and prolific and uh, ripens fairly early and pretty to look at. Too. Nice it's... to look, yeah, go- gorgeous color and wonderful yeah. taste. Yeah. That one, um, that one in particular was developed. Well, I mean, basically the principle that we we've worked under is we take real heirlooms that have gone through and, and people really like. I mean, we go through. We have a hundred-person consumer panel uh, who rate all of the tomatoes that we've tested, including the the supermarket stuff and many heirlooms. We take the very best ones for flavor and we cross them with um, a, a modern variety, one of those things that you'd say tastes like cardboard. 
Uh, and and we hope that in some cases we can identify varieties where the the, the babies, the, the, the next generation, have the best of both sides. You know, they'll have that vigor of the modern variety but maintain the taste. And I'll tell you that it doesn't always work that way. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just like your own kids. Some of them turn out better than others. <laughs> and, um, and, and, but that one in particular... <clears throat> Um, the the heirloom parent was developed up north, actually in Wisconsin, and uh, it it had really good flavor, but it was kind of soft, and uh, uh, it wasn't. Uh, it did not look like the one that you grew, okay. but it had really good flavor, and so the hybrid, it turns out, does really well. Uh, it, and you know, so it's uh, it's been a it's been a real surprise to us, actually. I mean, it's it's been remarkable. We really like it a lot. Uh, well, that's good. But since then, I imagine that you've continued to develop other hybrids. Uh, any other promising tomatoes? Yeah, we've got a couple um, that we're working with. Um, one that's kind of like a brandy wine type tomato. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know those big, uh, big, big things. Uh, the problem is that when you get fruits that are just the, the hyper large fruits, uh, the plant tends not to make so many of them. So they're great for the home gardeners, but the commercial growers say we don't want to touch it. Yeah, and the brandy um, wine won't last for very long. That is a problem, and that's another. That's actually the nice thing about making the hybrids with the modern varieties is those things have been selected for shipping and storage. Those will last weeks. So you end up, the hybrid is kind of, you know, it's it's not like the brandy wine uh, in terms of that, you know, brandy wine, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it has a shelf life of about two days. Um, you know, so, so bringing in some of that firmness, you get, you don't get the firmness that you get from those supermarket tomatoes, but you get something that's kind of intermediate that's really good. So, um, so, yeah, so Harry, on, on some of these brands that you're developing for the growers, are they also going to work for hydroponic growers, or is there a slight difference for that? Um, no, they would work for hydroponics just fine. In fact, we get the nice thing about giving out the seeds to people is I get, I mean, I probably get three or four emails. Seems like I get a burst of them every weekend when people sit down to update me. Um, and believe it or not, there are home gardeners out there who set up all of their their homemade uh, hydroponic systems, and we're getting people who tell us, "Oh yeah, yeah, we I do this. I got these buckets, and I've worked up this this aquarium uh, aerator, and uh, and they say, you know, they'll they'll give me reports, and yes, they will work for the, that as well. All right, well, that's Dr. Harry Clee. We're going to come back and talk more about his. New, improved tomatoes right after this on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Veggie Fest Chicago is back on August 12th and 13th. Be part of one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. Veggies and omnivores alike will have a great time. There's a huge international food court, health professionals with advice for good living, food and cooking demos, a children's tent, live music with some of Chicago's best bands, more than 100 vendors, and it's free at Benedictine University, 5700 College Road in Lyle. Go to VeggieFestChicago.org. Did you know that enough plastic is thrown away each year to circle the earth four times? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. 
Plastic doesn't biodegrade, at least not in 500 to 1,000 years. Between the islands of plastic, the size of countries floating around in the oceans, and the negative effects of it on wildlife and humans, we need to find ways to reduce and reuse plastic. So say no to plastic bags. Remember to bring your reusable ones when you shop. Recycle whatever plastic you can. Too much recyclable plastic ends up in the landfills. Extend the life of plastic items by finding clever ways to upcycle and reuse them. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. I think it's my favorite version of this song, John oh, Lennon. Yeah. You gotta love John Lennon. Oh, yeah. uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got Dr. Harry Klee from the University of Florida on the line. Harry, we wanted to play something else for you. I was going to come back. Where I'm, I'm hoping this works here. Peggy found this online, and I think you're going to appreciate it. Let's see if we can get it. Who put sixteen great tomatoes in that little bigger can? You know who? You know who? 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 who. In case you don't, it's Contadina tomato paste. Listen, she said 16 great tomatoes. Shouldn't that be eight? Either way, they're putting on a little bigger can now, too. Is that a fact? So those that's uh, Stan Freeberg. And I think the woman's voice who's with him is June Foray, who just died, who used to do uh, Rocket J. Squirrel. <laughs> and, and Yeah, this, this is uh, something uh, Peggy found on YouTube. And there, you don't, it's Contadina. It's Contadina, Stan Freeberg Contadina commercials from back in the 50s. So it's uh, back con- when he used to do all the jingles. Yeah. Everybody. We also had a tweet in from uh, Casey Tomato, who's listening live out in Kansas City, um, wanting to know if you're going to, the Mad- to Madison, Wisconsin for the UW Seed to Kitchen event in August. So the answer to that is I am not, but my tomatoes are. Yay! Um, are you packing suitcases for them? <laughs> They're actually growing them right there. Um, the University of Wisconsin, there's a lady there named Julie Dawson who um, does uh, big organic trials every summer. And uh, last summer, our, she grew, I think, f- between 50 and 60 different varieties. And our variety, in fact, the one that you grew in your garden, was there last year, and it did fabulously. Uh, and so uh, the chefs have liked it. Uh, a couple of the seed companies who put stuff in there saw the trials and, and said, ooh, this is something we want to try, so they're, they're growing them. Um, it, 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 was, it was a remarkable success. It was, I think, uh, in terms of yield, it was like the number two out of all of the varieties they wow. tested. So it's back there this year, and, and it will be in their event. And you need to name that sucker somehow. Uh, I, I I think call it uh, uh, Mike's Best or something. I think so. I, the Mike Novak tomato. Mike's uh, favorite. Mike's favorite. Uh, anything like that. That works for me. Uh, we also had another tweet. Uh, Meg says, if it doesn't have green shoulders, it ain't worth eating. A perfect tomato has green shoulders. What does she mean by that, Harry? 
Well, it turns out that a normal, I mean, the, the normal tomato has green shoulders. Uh, the old heirloom varieties all have green shoulders. That is, when it ripens, the very last thing that ripens is that, that top part that's attached to the stem, and it's usually very dark green. Um, and probably now, quite a long time ago, probably 80, 90 years ago, um, <clears throat> breeders identified a mutation that those green shoulders disappeared. Uh, and it made for a more uniform appearance tomato, uh, something that looked good, uh, you know, got uniformly red from top to bottom and didn't have that dark shoulder. Well, of course, breeders being breeders said, oh, we're looking at appearance, and appearance is important. Um, and, and so they decided that that mutant that didn't have the green shoulders was more desirable. It is now in literally 100% of all the modern varieties. Turns out it has less sugar and less flavor. Uh, and so this is a classic, it's like the poster child of what breeders have done to give people what they think they want rather than what they really want. <laughs> Wait, so they bred out the green shoulders, which means they bred out the flavor. Well, it, it, it's so the green shoulders are are indicative of, of what we call chloroplasts. Chloroplasts are the things that are in plant cells that take light and turn it into sugar. And they were darker because they had more chloroplasts. Well, that means that they can make more sugar. And that sugar gets converted to lots of other things that are good for flavor. And so by selecting for the ones that didn't have those dark green shoulders, they were actually selecting for things that had less of those chloroplasts, those factories that are making sugar. So I wouldn't say it has no flavor, but it has less flavor. Okay. Uh, but that's And that's something that you go into uh, on your website, uh, and folks can find it if they go to MikeNovak.net and, uh, and follow the story. Uh, you talk about flavor, and part of what you're doing is, is quantifying, quantifying flavor. In fact, that was a, the paper you did earlier mm -hmm. this year that got printed, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that had a story about it in the New York Times. It's in search of flavor, and... Uh, I, I don't want to simplify it too much because I know I'll get it wrong, but to some degree, it's not necessarily all about sugars, is it? No, no, it's not. In fact, um, we've tasted varieties that grow that uh, breeders have sent us where you can get sugar. You can get a, a tomato that had 14% sugar. That's more than Coca-Cola. Wow. Uh, and it's <laughs> just like eating candy. Um, Feed that to but, the kids. But, but, but when you, well, that's the thing, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like the dirty little secret. It's like, <laughs> it's like apple juice, you know? People say, oh, I give my kids fruit juices not rather than Coca-Cola. Well, guess what? Fruit juice has as much sugar as Coca-Cola. Um, <clears throat> but the problem is that they don't taste as good. I mean, you eat it and you say, this is like eating candy, but it doesn't taste like a tomato to me. Uh, much of the flavor, most of the flavor actually comes from chemicals that, that we smell. We call them volatiles. Um, the things that, you know, well, I mean, everybody knows what a great tomato smells like when you cut it open. Those chemicals are the ones that really make the difference in flavor.
volatiles. So look out for the volatiles <laughs> yeah. and, and not too much sugar. Does, does color make a difference in flavor? Ah, that's a really interesting question. We could talk about that forever. Um, <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, it doesn't directly contribute to uh, what you're tasting and smelling, but your perception affects what you think of the tomato and does influence how you will rate it. So, uh, I mean, I can give you two tomatoes that are almost identical chemically. One will be deep red, one will be less red, and you will tell me that the deeper red tomato tastes better. Uh, It's just your eyes... Uh, play an important part in your hmm. anticipation hmm. and how you will rate that tomato. It's a real problem. Interesting. That's why the, the consumer panels that, that a lot of people use to rate things will typically use artificial light to try and hide color differences. Hmm. Yeah. I can see that because uh, there's a prejudice against the lighter color tomatoes and green tomatoes. and I mean, the green tomatoes that are supposed to be green, like a green zebra mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. That's right. Uh, in fact, if you go to Japan or China, uh, the Asians actually like a pink tomato. Uh, and they've been trained. And they're very different tomatoes. And, and we, we export the red tomatoes over there. And the Japanese, for example, don't even eat them. Uh, they're just, their eyes tell them that I grew up eating this pink tomato and that's what I want and that's what I like. <laughs> we, uh, and we've talked, actually, we talked earlier in the year uh, about tomato color and how it's determined, and it's 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 actually kind of uh, the the skin has uh, has something to say about that, and that it's yeah. there's more similarity in color than you think. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that because I want to get into uh, finish up here with your breeding tomato. So let's let's make something clear. So if people go to uh, Harry's Tasty Tomato page, which is the link I was telling you about, and it takes you to the University of Florida and uh, Dr. Harry Klee and his experiments on tomatoes. And it's also where you can click on and get some seeds for yourself for a, mo- a modest $10 contribution. Uh, if, uh, if, if folks get one of these tomatoes and they think they want to grow uh, a, a tomato next year from the seed of that tomato, what are they going to get? Well, they're not going to get the same thing because it's a hybrid. Um, you know, we're, it's it's just the same as uh, as your mother and father. <laughs> you know, you you have siblings and they're not the same. Um, so uh, it's funny because what I tell people is, if you've got lots of room, go ahead and try it. Uh, you know, that you'll get seeds and and those seeds will give you stuff. Uh, they just won't be identical to what you grew originally. Um, some you may even find something that's better. Uh, you, you, what you get is, uh, like with the, with the Garden Gem, we crossed, we crossed a very large tomato to a very small tomato. And, and so you get a huge range of variation in size, mm-hmm. shape, and even color. Uh, and, and a lot of them are going to taste really good. Um, but, you know, most people don't have room to grow 20, 30 tomato plants. Uh, if you do, it's a really cool genetics experiment. And I would say... Go ahead, go for it, uh, and you'll see. You'll see actually what goes into tomato breeding right mm-hmm. in your own backyard. Uh, I and, and we got about thirty seconds here. Uh, my final question to you is: Do you ever have those dark days where you wonder why the heck am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really frustrating 
to deal with the commercial growers because the commercial growers don't care about flavor. They're not paid for flavor. They're paid for yield. That's been really frustrating. But what's really rewarding, honestly, I, I didn't anticipate this at the beginning, is the home gardeners. So I get people who write me all the time who say, I tasted your garden treasure tomato, and it's the best tomato I've had in the last five decades. Uh, you know, and when you get comments like that, it make, does make it worthwhile. It still drives me crazy that you can't go to a supermarket and get a good-tasting tomato, but well, actually, we're working on it. Yeah, and that's not exactly true. There's a, 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 a company called Mighty Vine, which is in mm-hmm. our area. They, they're growing locally, even in the winter. Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at restorethenorthshore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Hey, Ron Cowgill. Yes, Mike Novak. How would you like to drive the safest, quickest, and most capable sports utility vehicle in history? Legally? Of course legally. In fact, you would own it. Legally? Stop saying that. I'm talking about the Illinois Solar Energy Association, which is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X. You mean the one that comes standard, all-wheel drive, seating for up to seven adults, and up to 295 miles of range on a single charge? Yes. The one that can accelerate from zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds? Yes. How did you know that? I'm reading the script. Oh, well, then you probably know that only 2,500 tickets will be sold. They're 100 bucks each. You can purchase as many as you like, and the drawing is December 7th. Do I have to be present to win? Nope. Do I have to live in Illinois? Nope, just the lower 48 states. Is this the part where we read the disclaimer stuff really, really fast? Nah, this is where we tell people to get details at IllinoisSolar.org. You're good. Yeah. We think we're back. We certainly hope we are. Uh, this is the Mike Novak Show with uh, Peggy Malecki, and we're kind of in the home stretch here. And speaking of veggies, because we were just talking to Dr. Harry Clee from the University of Florida about tomatoes, let's, uh, let's expand our horizons and talk about all kinds of veggies. And we have Jonathan Kruger on the phone, one of the coordinators for Veggie Fest Chicago. Welcome, Jonathan. Good morning. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it, Peggy and Mike, for having me on the show and this year about what's happening with Veggie Fest this year. Yeah, and and I was thinking, I'm thinking, um, uh, I was thinking of slogans for Veggie Fest, and it was it was Peggy who sort of uh, got me going down this road. And it's not just for vegans anymore. I mean, you you guys veggies. Uh, what? Not just for vegetarians. Uh, it's a not, difference. Well, okay, yeah, there is. What, what, what? Actually, the uh, 
the, the beauty of Veggie Fest is that it was created for not for vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, you had a small amount of people to show up. Veggie Fest is a family festival that's really for everybody to have a good time, enjoy, learn some good information, maybe incorporate it to their diet, some aspect of healthy living. And we created an environment with the live music, the vendors, the speakers, the food demos, the children's tent, so that everybody's welcome and, uh, and to have a good time. End of story. Let's go. <laughs> and it's uh, next week. Uh, so tell us about uh, when and where. It's going to be uh, next weekend, Saturday, Sunday, at Benedictine University in Lyle. Uh, it's right there on the corner on about 10 acres of beautiful grass area. There's great parking. There's free entry, free parking for everybody. Uh, it's from 11 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, we got, we got it happening. It's going to be a fun, fun, fun festival. It's considered one of the best-run uh, high-energy festivals mm-hmm. in town. Yeah, I, I've been there for the last seven years. One of the things that always strikes me is there's just so much going on. It doesn't matter how many people are there. The you know there's there's like not big backups of lines. The speakers you're you're well accommodating for many people listening. Um, and, and some of your speakers are medical professionals. Who's going to be talking this year, Jonathan? Well, we're pretty excited that uh, Dr. Tim Williams will be back. He is chief cardiologist at Rush Medical and the former president of the National Cardiology, Cardiology Society. And uh, he does a great job. He's a vegetarian. And we also have uh, Dr. Terry Mason, who's the chief operating officer for the Cook County Public Health Department, and uh, who's also a vegetarian. He'll be back for his third year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got, uh, actually, we got a professor, Dr. Lou Ritz from the University of Florida, professor of neurology. We got Manesh Sagar, who's a professor at Stanford University. So we got a great lineup of great speakers. And, um, and there's just lots of good stuff going on, you know, along with the speakers. We got some chefs coming in from some of the best chefs around the country for some food demonstrations, live music from some great bands throughout Chicago. So you're right. It's, uh, it's fun. Last year was our best year. We had over 40,000 people show up. We're considered one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun time. we got a great children's tent uh, where kids get face painting and crafts. And we actually have music just for the kids, live music there. Mm-hmm. So it's fun, fun. Yeah, and how about the food court? What, what types of things can people get in the food court if they've never well, sampled vegetarian about, food? Well, we have 26 different food items at, uh, at Veggie Fest, international food from all over the world. And, uh, and lots of different choices. And I'll tell you what's unique about Veggie Fest. I mean, one is we have a 1,000 volunteers coming in from 20 different countries to be able to put on the festival. And what's unique about Veggie Fest is that we prepare and cook all the food. We don't bring in outside mm-hmm. uh, organizations or outside restaurants or food trucks. And when we do that, we can put a lot of TLC and a lot of love into our food when we make it. And uh, it really is a, quite a project, but it's pretty exciting. If you are pre- uh, preparing your own food there, where are you preparing it? That's a that's a huge deal. You got a you say forty thousand people that you got to feed a lot of people. So where where can you prepare all this food? Well, we actually set up a food uh, tent where we're uh, before the festival, where people are coming in. Uh, it's being managed by the uh, local DuPage uh, uh, County Health Department, and we actually are starting at the end of the next week. This week, we're uh, putting it all together. Wow. Okay. (laughs) 
and uh, well, this is a, a, a free event? It is a, a free festival, which is pretty exciting, and the prices for food are reasonable. I mean, it's like $5 for an average meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got so many different choices, and what the beauty of Veggie Fest is we got this great live music with seating for about 1,000 people, a big grass area. We got Vanessa Holmes from Motown Grace coming out, Gizay, which is an award-winning um, reggae band, The Giving Tree, which tours the country as a jam band. We got some great music. People sit out there, they dance, they eat food, they, they just enjoy the day. It's really a fun event, yeah. and uh, it's a very welcoming event. I know Peggy's been a big part of it for uh, many years. And it's kind of interesting the way the day sets up. There's the early people who come, go to a few lectures and leave. The families tend to come in the afternoon. But then in the evening, you always notice people coming just for the food and the music. And they hang around till late. And literally, like you said, they're dancing. So it's, it's as you said, even if you're not a vegetarian, it's a very approachable, fun, free, free, free <laughs> event. Did, did, yeah. we, did we say free? I don't know if we said. Well, that's, that's exciting. We got some. We got some new stuff going on Veggie Fest this year. We have a yoga tent. Oh yeah. Uh, we got Yoga by Degrees is coming in along with the Universal uh, Spirit Yoga Center. They're coming in to do yoga classes throughout the festival. Uh, we're very excited that Whole Foods is very active now in Veggie Fest. They're going to have a huge uh, presence there this year, both days, giving out samples and talking mm-hmm. with people. And Rush Medicals coming in. If you can imagine this, with fifty health professionals to do. Free screening for um, blood pressure, weight, cholesterol, blood sugar testing, and health counseling. And they'll be set up uh, on Sunday at VeggieFest. So, um, I mean, it's a lot of good stuff going on. It's a family event. We're excited. That's actually pretty cool, having uh, the the medical stuff going on and getting that kind of testing. Because a lot of folks are just, they never remember to do it. And uh, you might as well make it as painless as possible. Well, the other thing is that what's exciting for the people in Chicago is that the Lyle train station is five minutes away from the festival. And so you can take the, uh, the train station right out to Lyle. You can uh, take an Uber for like five bucks and get right there. So we're hoping that we can draw a lot of people from the city. Uh, you know, we want to raise our cool factor up. So we need the city <laughs> people to come in. And uh, so we're pretty excited. About it. We have a really diverse group of people uh, from all over the world. And uh, that's very exciting when you see all different types of people coming together, enjoying themselves, and having fun. Real, real quick, Jonathan, in about 30 seconds, what is the Vegetarian Challenge? The Vegetarian Challenge is where we, uh, people go to like learn to be a vegetarian tent. They sign up for the Vegetarian Challenge for, I'll be a vegetarian for 30 days. We give them a whole packet of information on supporting them with um, uh, the details, with recipes, and follow-up. In the last few years, we've had about 15,000, people sign up for the Vegetarian Challenge. So that's pretty, uh, that's pretty exciting. Well, it's next weekend uh, uh, for two days, uh, Veggie Fest Chicago. You can find all the information uh, on my website, MikeNovak.net. But if folks want to go online themselves, uh, you can just go to VeggieFestChicago.com. Jonathan, thank you so much. We appreciate having you on the show. Hi, Peggy and Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, I know that Peggy will be out there with Natural Awakening Magazine, and we're pretty excited about that. She's been a great supporter of Veggie Fest. And uh, we look uh, look forward to seeing your audience. All right. Take care now. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Thanks for everybody who is on the show today. Next week, 
I'm in Oklahoma checking out earthquakes. Honest to goodness, I'm going to be in Oklahoma. So Peggy is taking over the show herself uh, with her crew. Uh, I might not get back in the following <laughs> week, so uh, we will. Ha- but I'm gonna I'm gonna check in, and I want to thank Mary Hennon, Peggy McNamara, Laura Calvert. Dr. Harry Klee and Jonathan Kruger and, of course, Ariana and Ben Boquist and Audie the dog. Until next <laughs> next Saturday, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.